Welcome into the Esports Network podcast where we delve into everything and anything esports related. That includes, you know, business. That includes, you know, mental skills coaching. We just had a really big guest on a few months ago. Hopefully he uh, he liked his little show that we did with him. But we always have to talk to the personalities of the game as well. People who uh, really have provide some interesting insight and are working on new projects as well. So to help me do that, all the way from London, please welcome in Frankie Ward. How are you doing, Frankie? Hello, I'm good, thank you, Kevin. Thank you for having me. Yes, and so you are a, uh, how's, how's, how's the best way to put this? You're a Counter-Strike staple. You are a, well, I guess, mogul around the scene. You've been in, what, League of Legends? What haven't you been in so far? That I, I guess Apex Legends? <laughs> I've never done Dota 2 apart from some player interviews for a charity event. So I've never done Dota 2. Oh. Never done Apex, that's true. Never done Apex. Um, have I done Fortnite? Apart Again, apart from interviewing players for a charity event, I've never actually done Fortnite, even though I kind of started full-time as a host, really, in PUBG in a Battle Royale. So, oh, so yeah, okay. surprising. I never really went to any other Battle Royale. But oh. maybe that's kind of like a loyalty thing i'm not really sure <laughs> loyalty thing loyalties will be tested as always but we'll see maybe in the future you'll uh you know interview some fortnite players maybe uh booga will show up again and and you know win another three million dollars out of the u.s or something and you'll be well, like if i'm asked mm-hmm. i would be happy to work with epic so yeah for sure there you go so you have a background in uh, radio and television production broadcast media in general you've been a stable for counter-strike in, in how many years now i feel like it's been I don't, want to, I don't want to date you here, but four, three years? I did my first Counter-Strike event in May 2018, which was a desk hosting a small event called the Gamdom Premiere. And then I desk hosted the America's Minor for the Face at London Major. That was in July 2018. So I, I actually only did three events in CS in, the, in my first year of doing it in 2018. And then I did... 19 events as talent in 2019 and one event as press. Holy, holy moly. That's uh, that's a lot for a year. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it was. And then some, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, I mean, we'll get into that a little bit later. The main reason you're on here is you yourself are partnering with Red Bull to start a new podcast called Save Your Game. Is that, am I getting that right? Is it Save Your Game? You is are. It- yeah. Red Bull Save Your Game. Yes, that is the Perfect. new podcast. Perfect. And so you guys are bringing on insiders from around esports and gaming in general, not just related to competitive gaming, but pretty much you're bringing them on to talk about their games that they like to play that, that influence them. But for the most part, what is this show about? What, what, what was the inspiration behind it? The idea of the podcast is that it is about gamers who made it their profession, I guess, and who are telling us about the games that really were important in that process, or maybe even after they've become professional, the games that have stuck with them through that time. So it's really interesting to kind of dive into backstories and find out more about who people were when they were playing those important games as well, because I think that's one of the most interesting parts about it. It's it's kind of they're human stories. They're not just about games, really. They're also about the people at who, what the games were to them at those moments in their lives. Oh, wow. So is there a specific amount of games you guys are going to be talking about? Like, are you limiting the guests? Because like, I could go on for like 20 games about my favorite ones that influenced me, but I'm, I'm sure for a podcast form, you need to kind of limit them a little bit. So we've decided to go with three games, oh. which I know is really tough in the first Oof. place because you're basically having to cut things down 
to to just three games and you could have played well over 100 games in your life right i'm sure a lot of people listening to this will have so choosing just three is very difficult maybe choosing 10 not so hard but but hey it's like a half an hour podcast (laughs) we don't have time to talk about every single game unfortunately so yeah we've had to go with the hard decision to make it only three games and that's especially difficult for our guests because of course they're like oh i want this game this game oh but maybe this game and i'm not sure which version of this brand i want to talk about you know like we've got a couple of fifa players so Mm -hmm. naturally to them lots of different versions of fifa have been important to them but choosing just one that's a lot harder no i agree it's just i mean what fifa 99 or fifa 19 or fifa 15 it's just uh i just i just recently had a talk with a fifa player and he just he couldn't decide either he had he listed 10 different versions of fifa and i'm like uh yep you mm -hmm, that works for me man whatever floats your boat yep but for the most part i think three games is is a solid decision you go if it's a half an hour podcast you go 10 minutes per game and then you know whatever's whatever's good there but you've already recorded a few episodes and so what guests can you tease if any if any at all so our first guest is carlos rodriguez aka ocelot he is best known as the founder of g2 back in the day it was gamers too but you mustn't call it that to him i will get very very (laughs) upset Um, and he is a fascinating guest because carlos has been a pro player himself he was playing warcraft like he was a world of warcraft pro Mm -hmm. and then he was a league of legends pro as well i mean he loves counter-strike too even though he wasn't a pro in it he used to play the game day of defeat which kind of came out at the same time as counter-strike as a mod so counter-strike for those who don't know it started out as a mod called half-life deathmatch and so day of defeat was also a half-life mod and sadly hasn't stood the test of time in the way that counter-strike has but was still very very important for people of that time so it's really interesting uh, talking to him about that and finding out more about him as a personality because for carla's I wanted to know if what you see is what you get because he's very known as uh, he's known as an exuberant personality. Yes. So I just kind of wanted to scrape below that surface and just like see if that was at the center as well. And so that was a really interesting conversation. And I I haven't heard the episode yet. So (laughs) I'm probably going to listen to it at the same time as everyone else. But when we were recording it, I was I was just so happy to to be there and having that time with him because he's a really, really special person really yeah, it's I crazy was, yeah very honored to have him that's crazy i mean i, I grew up you know watching ocelot play and so to hear you he, he's your first guest i'm just like oh well guess that means all the more reason i have to listen instead of just interviewing you i have to also listen because ocelot <laughs> was one of my my league of legends idols growing up <laughs> so i had to have to listen now i'm forced to unfortunately <laughs> not kidding <laughs> but what are your favorite games i guess we'll tease one one favorite game of yours that may or may not come up in your Save the Game podcast with Red Bull, but what's one game that you could tease for us? So a game for me would be Final Fantasy X, because I just remember how emotional it made me feel at the time, and I was 16, and I just finished my GCSE exams. So those are the exams we take when we're 15, 16 in the UK, and Mm -hmm. now year 11. This is before our final two years of school, if you choose to stay on. Some people actually leave school after their GCSEs. So I finished my exams, didn't have any lessons after that. So I just (laughs) had a couple of weeks to myself, and I borrowed Final Fantasy X to play my PlayStation 2, and I barely left my bed apart from the shower and occasionally eat for two weeks because I was obsessed with it. And it wasn't that I was being deliberately antisocial, it's just that I lived in the middle of nowhere. It was very difficult for me to go out and see anyone I couldn't drive. So, yeah, that my only 
source of entertainment really was was video games and this game just hooked me in i fell in love with the story and the characters and the mechanics and for me that game is perfect and yet i've never done a second playthrough it's always like this perfect memory in my mind and i think one day i will go back to it but right now i'm i'm kind of okay with the fact that i haven't I would say it hasn't, I mean, it's aged all right, I would say. The remasters have definitely done it justice, but for the most part, uh, I laugh every time when, when Titus is just doing his weird little ha 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 ha. Yeah. It's perfect, and I, I don't want you to taint yeah. that memory, so you just keep it, don't play it for a while, maybe do it for a charity stream or something. It's like, I'll play it uh, for like, you know, if we raise some odd amount of money, and I'll play it. But mm, It's such a huge commitment, though, Final Fantasy uh, game. Yes. It's you know, it's over 100 hours and that's not even completionist. Like, I played Final Fantasy Thirteen, and I really like the Paradigms system, which mm -hmm. is a system that you use in battle yep. to control the setup of your uh, your characters and, and the style that they're playing in. Uh, that was really, really cool. I absolutely loved it. However, hated the storyline, stopped playing it at one juncture and didn't pick it up again for five years. Wow. And then I got my job at Twitch which is my first gaming industry job. And I was like, I should finish this thing. So I fired up the Xbox 360 and off I went and I finally finished it. N not really remembering much of the story. So I was like, why are they referring to the Lacey and the Fauci? And what's the difference between them? And oh, okay, crystals, what? Nope. And it was so hard to get back into. And they had a particularly annoying character called Vanille who had a terrible American <laughs> voice actor. And I just... <laughs> or at least I didn't like the characterization. That's not fair on the voice actor. They were actually a good voice actor. It's just that I personally didn't enjoy the voice. Yes. The intonation, like the actual dramatic performance was fine. Again, just the tone of voice really irritated me. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't have the fondest memories of that game in particular, apart from the battle mechanic, which was awesome. All right, well. That game is also not aged well. I'd say that, that game is aged worse than ten, if anything. So I I, I don't blame yeah. you at all for not <laughs> for not continuing with that because I didn't even finish it either. I was just like, this was not fun, and I threw it away, and I don't know where it is now. Mm -hmm. But w this show, uh, Save Your Game with the uh, Red with Red Bull, um, you guys interviewing a lot of in industry insiders, gamers, professional gamers, guys who have made their living off it, trying to delve beneath the surface, like you've mentioned with Ocelot. What is something you'd want the average listener to take away from uh, an episode or two? Is it just that these people are just like you and me? Is it just that, you know, anybody can really delve into this, this industry? It's just a matter of, you know, know-how and a bit of luck. I think it's looking at what the games that we play say about us mm -hmm. and looking back on also how those games actually did influence us in our lives like did the game that you played when you attended that kind of affect things like i grew up playing monkey island games and i do genuinely think that affected my sense of humor ditto hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy i actually do think that that influenced me and i think that's uh, something maybe that people don't consider now i'm not saying that people who play violent games are influenced to be violent at all but actually, mm. if you're playing something like Counter-Strike, you're learning team skills and you're mm -hmm. learning strategy as well as point, click and shoot. So it's not always as, as surface as going, right, well, you play Counter-Strike or Call of Duty, so now you're going into the army. It's not like that at all. It's more like, what did you learn from playing those games? So Monkey Island is a lot about uh, sort of critical thinking, I guess you could say. I'm trying to think of the correct term, critical thinking. Maybe that's not the right term, but it's... It's, close. it's only about thinking outside the box and realizing that uh, that 
uh, faucet that you need to loosen, you've got a monkey in your inventory and hey, monkey wrench. So <laughs> use the monkey to loosen the faucet, Monkey Island 2, for example. Like it's sort of certain things that you actually learn and you pick up from games and take with you. But again, sometimes it is the more surface level stuff like Sense of Humor, as I mentioned earlier, for Monkey Island. So yeah, I think it's really interesting to to go back and look at those things. And sometimes it's not really teaching you anything either. Like not all games are like that, but they've certainly given you a sense of something and that's why you take them with you and you think of them fondly. So it's it's very clear that this is something near and dear to your heart, almost almost a passionate level, I would say. And so this is the right podcast for you to kind of figure out and discover that the the games of our past, if you will, and just kind of they make the people that we are. Do, do they or don't they? But speaking of your past, you you've it's kind of not been. I don't know if it's traditional. Like it's really nothing in esports is traditional as of yet. Uh, you know, I used to work in sports media, and now you you work from television and, and radio production into esports. How did that journey work out for you? How did you find yourself in front of a camera, holding a microphone, talking about video games? So I didn't realize I could work in video games until I discovered esports. And that was when I worked on a League of Legends project for the BBC in 2015. Mm -hmm. And then I was doing so many different genres of, of content, I guess you could say. When I was at the BBC, I was a senior content producer before I left. And I just wanted to focus on something and really focus on something that I enjoyed and was interested in. And then someone had been watching this League event on Twitch, I thought I'd trying to find out more so I <laughs> looked on the jobs website and I had five interviews it was I think oh, and wow. about seven months of of waiting from the actual application being submitted I became an employee of Twitch and produced stages for them around Europe and, and went to TwitchCon as well in the US but for me it was a really valuable experience of getting to know streamers I started to stream myself I built my first gaming rig and just really learned about the industry as a whole as well as esports and i had to sometimes go on stage to host because i didn't have enough budget to to cover enough twitch partners to host a full show sometimes because mm -hmm. the shows were long they were like eight to 12 hours long sometimes wow. you'd have like 30 interviews in a day so i'd be prepping all of that for my talent but sometimes we need to give them a break or sometimes there was a knowledge gap for example like final fantasy we had final fantasy 15 on the stage i was super excited to be working with the guys at square enix to to bring that to the stage that I was producing at EGX, a UK event in 2017. But my host didn't really know anything about it. So if you've got two hosts and they don't know what a chocobo is <laughs> and they don't have time to find out, well, okay, I'll jump in and, and just kind of help help out with that bit, you know, here and there. And I've got a great production team, the run of show. So basically the, the shape of the show, everything is sorted. Um, so sometimes I would just pop up and, and help out and pitch in, in in the hosting sense. And then Twitch made some job closures, about 40 job closures, I think it was, mm -hmm. in early 2018. And I was the only European post that was closed. So, yeah, I had to make a decision. And by that point, I'd already started hosting a show for a channel called Jinx TV every Thursday. So I'd literally leave the office, jump on a tube and go and host this evening show. So it didn't take too much time out of my in fact it didn't take any time out of my job with twitch because there was an understanding that if i needed to go away and ho uh, pr not host but produce an event well that i would just miss a week of the show that i was doing mm -hmm. and it all fit together really nicely gave me life experience and so when my job disappeared i was kind of ready to try hosting full time <laughs> and i did have some meetings about other jobs but i just 
I wanted to give it a shot and I had savings and a supportive partner and things like that. So yeah, I gave it a shot and and it worked out. There you go. That's how it works out for, for a lot of people. I mean, myself, mm. I was, I was working at ESPN Dallas for five years or so. And then all of a sudden they're like, uh, we're gone. Everybody's here is, is uh, out of a job. And so I was like, well, I guess I'll try this esports thing out. I guess, uh, and it worked out for me as well. So I'm glad to hear that your story is 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 in line with what I've experienced, what others have experienced as well. So I mean, without that, we wouldn't have you here. So there, there you go. I'm happy to, happy mm-hmm. to have you here as well. Thank you. <laughs> and so, um, you mentioned earlier, like you didn't think there was a, a way to really, you know, have a job in video games. Um, but did you ever think that this would be the path it would take? Right, the fact that it's streaming out to quite literally, you know, millions of people across the globe. Um, does that kind of weigh on your mind a bit when you're ever like in front of a camera, like, wow, I'm, I'm doing this for the umpteenth time. Something that I dreamed of when I was a kid. And it's just, it's literally, is it a dream come true for you at that point? It's definitely a dream come true. I never think about viewer figures. <laughs> like, if I'm on camera or if I'm part of the show, I don't really think about it. I think about it maybe if I'm watching as part of the audience um, because I want to congratulate my colleagues and my peers who are actually working on that show. Mm-hmm. They're doing particularly well. But I don't actually think about it when I'm in front of the camera because if I mess up, like even in front of one person and one person's seen that and that's, and that's kind of enough for me, I don't, I don't like want that to happen in front of anyone let alone a million people uh, but i'm quite natural if, if mistakes happen because everything we do is live almost almost everything anyway so so i'm pretty good at rolling with the punches and all that kind of stuff uh which is weird like because <laughs> <like, laughs> i didn't do too much on camera before i started doing this i did some radio and things like that pre-recorded radio and stuff but i didn't didn't really do it i did some stuff on camera like some pre-recorded interviews with some comedians and stuff in the in back in the day and i put myself i would put myself on camera so i think when it came to actually being on camera it was fairly natural but yeah um for some reason <laughs> like it felt very normal but it also is is a dream like it actually becomes harder for me personally i find it harder mm-hmm. the more i've worked because suddenly it becomes more about sustaining where you are as opposed to when you start out and every job is like, oh my God, I've been hired to do something. And now it's just like, I haven't heard if I'm going to do this job or not. I would expect to do it, but they still haven't told me. So mm-hmm. does that mean I have to say no to this job and hold out for this job? Because I've done it before. I'd really like to do it again. Or um, is it going to be a last minute thing? Like it suddenly becomes a lot less kind of like, oh, every every job is amazing. It's a step forward. And, and then it suddenly becomes more like, okay, right. Um, if I'm not asked to do this job again, then what went wrong and all that kind of stuff. So it becomes a, a, a very different experience once you are kind of full time and, and, you know, working regularly and all that kind of stuff. And it can be very easy to, to not take a step back sometimes and go, Oh my God, this is amazing. Like you have to be super careful for it, to, for it to not just become a job mm-hmm. because it is a job you're super lucky to be doing. And, it is an incredible experience and I don't get to do this for my entire life. So I need to enjoy it while I can, but it's certainly not the least stressful job I've ever done. There you go. See, Hey, good things come in, in, uh, in, in plenty of spaces. Um, you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, you had, a, you had a, a wonderful support system behind you. Um, when you told your, your, your support system, your family, your friends, whoever, that you were working in video games full time as a freelancer or, or in whatever capacity, what was their reaction? Was it just immediate support? Was it like, wow, we're so proud of you. We're so happy for you. What was their, their reaction like? 
I can't swear on this podcast, but to put it bluntly, I don't think anyone really cared. <laughs> like, because my, my sort of immediate friends and family aren't like necessarily like prolific gamers. They're not hardcore gamers. I do have some friends actually from uni who who were very excited, and like I know I've I've recorded something for a game recently, and I know that one of my friends is going to be so excited. <laughs> and recently we. Uh, I started trying to lend Dota and then I got them in on trying to lend Dota as well. So like they're both better than me now because <laughs> they've spent more time on it. Cause I've had stupid hours in terms of like when I'm recording and stuff like that, I work a lot of antisocial hours in the traditional sense, a lot of weekends and things like that. Um, so yeah, it, to be honest, like I don't feel like people were that kind of excited in my life when I, well, at least when I moved to Twitch, like my mom was a bit like, are you sure you want to leave the BBC? But apart from that, no one really cared. <laughs> Maybe that's just more to do with like my family or something. Um, and then when I became a host again, I, I there wasn't really much reaction. I don't think, cause I think my life is so different to, and the things I do and my, my job, I should say not my li- entire life, but my, my job is very different to, like my friends and family back home that it's not I talk about it but sometimes I wish I talked about it less because I'm just like oh god this is not interesting to the people <laughs> like that I'm mates with this is the <laughs> so most it's interesting a really difficult one to explain but my partner was incredibly supportive um because I said to him I think I want to try hosting but I don't know how well it's going to go at first it could be a big risk I, I don't know what it's gonna be like income wise but I had some savings and things and he was like if you can't afford to pay me rent like for a month or so it's okay because he knew how much i wanted to do it and i never ever missed rent and i I was very fortunate that i had some contacts that i would never use for hosting while i was at twitch but then i used once i left because i was like well this is this is probably fair enough now i can send them a reel i'm emailing them in a different context in a personal context uh, or at least a personal uh, context is in about work i want to do as opposed to work i was doing for for the company and yeah it it went well pretty much from the get-go it's not to say it hasn't been hard at times and things like that but um but i was very fortunate around timings and and things like that and there are people in this industry who've been incredibly kind and supportive and helped me get to where i am so the reaction from the family was uh less pomp and circumstance you know not nothing too excitable nothing too crazy but the system was still in place. You had, uh, I'm sure your family's still like, you know, you're making money. Good for you. Very happy for you. <laughs> I'm sure. But for people out there who are wanting to maybe uh, get their toe in the industry, what advice would you, would you have for them? I think I get a lot of people who want to be involved in esports, but haven't actually done anything, but maybe emailing people like me to be involved in it. Because fair enough, they don't know where to start and no one's told them. So, of course, they're going to come to someone who's already working in esports to mm-hmm. find out. But the issue with that is you if you, you're going to spend your time asking questions, you're not going to actually do the thing that gets you in the door, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, questions are so important. I think it's really, in, I think it's a strength to know to ask, but you've got to do as well. You've got to take action. So, when I started out in media work, I couldn't get work, radio work experience uh, apart from like working in my uni uh, radio station. So I ended up moving into online because I was writing my own blog and I'd started writing for websites in my the city that I was studying in, Birmingham in the UK. And so because of that, I built up a body of work. Mm-hmm. I was self-starting. I just self-published on my own website and things like that. At times I've had a podcast, like I had a podcast when I first 
uh, was made redundant from a radio station I worked at, uh, like back at the start of the like 2010s. And also I started a podcast when I left Twitch as well, My Life in Pixels, which I will probably come back to at some point. But I think I've had, I've had over 30 episodes of that podcast. And you just have to make things. And so if you want to be a commentator, well, if you can't commentate over a, your friends uh, playing video games or you could just take a feed, you don't have to broadcast it. No, one, You can't get in trouble if you're not broadcasting it to the world. You can literally take a feed from a broadcast and try and commentate over the top of it. You just need something to prove that you've been working at it and you can do it and you need something that shows who you are as well as the broadcast personality. So with showreels, for example, when you're further down the line and have some content to show what you can do, you should be trying to show your personality, not necessarily just the shows that you've worked on. I think being able to see someone's personality and skills are so much more important than the the hierarchy of the shows that they've done. Um, obviously, social numbers help and all that kind of stuff, but it's, it is very much about being able to show who you are because ultimately you're going to get the best, most credible performance if you're able to be yourself on camera. Like I've been asked, well, how different are you to your persona? And it's like, I'm not, I'm not a different person when I'm on camera. It's just that my energy is projected towards a camera as opposed to projected to a room of people, for example. And when I'm one-on-one -on -one with someone, I'm not necessarily going to have the same energy and all that kind of thing. So it's not that I'm, I'm not fake and I'm not a different person. I'm the same person. It's just that, you know, social situations require you to adjust your tone and your behavior depending on where you are. So when I'm hosting a desk, I've got two analysts to have fun with and to also ask questions of when I'm with an individual player, I'm going to adapt my personality depending on what they need to feel comfortable um, or what I need to do to, to get the right, well, not the right answers from them. There's no real right answer, but to get the most interesting answer from yes. them. And so pretty much the, the most important step is just making the first action just in any way, just to get the work, start working. And then yeah, whether exactly. it's self-published exactly. or self-made or whatever, just start it. And you don't have to show anybody, just, just do it, as Shia LaBeouf would say. Yes, just yeah, just do it. <laughs> uh, except, don't put a paper bag in your head. Get the, uh, you know, make sure you you've got some practice and some examples to show, and mm -hmm. then you can send the emails. Yes, that's when you start to get in touch with people. That's when you ask the questions. That's when you start figuring it out, and then exactly. then the phone calls yeah. will come in slowly at first, but they'll come. <laughs> but um, this podcast of yours with Red Bull, of course, you're getting it started off the ground. Um. Why Red Bull? Did they come to you? Did did uh, I mean? Did you approach them? How did this exactly work out for your for the podcast? They came to me, oh. and Red Bull is a client sounds like a very sort of act, like not very too professional audience friendly, does it? But I'm freelance, right? So the people I work for, they're technically clients. Uh, so Red Bull as an org, though, is someone I've worked for before. Uh, notably, I guess Red Bull MEO, which is their mobile event series. Mm -hmm. uh, so mo I think I'm not sure. Mobile Esports Open. So I did their first and second series of, of MEO. And I've done a couple of other events for them, especially around Valorant last year, because they partnered with G2 to, to do a couple of events. And I've just always really, really enjoyed working with them. And when they came to do a podcast, I was asked to actually do an audition. Like oh. I don't normally audition for jobs. It's not really a thing in esports. But for this one, I did did a little audition, like an impromptu one with the producers. 
And yeah, I got asked to do it, which was really exciting because I love podcasts. I'm obsessed with podcasts. <laughs> and the idea of getting to do it for someone else as opposed to me having to organize things, because I'm terrible at asking people to be guests. I hate it. I hate imposing on my friends and being like, hello, do you mind doing this thing for me? I, like, <laughs> I'm getting married and it's lovely because I've got three bridesmaids. They've organized my entire Hindu. I would like shrivel up inside if I had to ask people to come to my Hindu. So my sister and my, my other bridesmaids are doing it for me. It is honestly the best because I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to feel like rejected or uh, like I'm a nuisance for asking someone to to give up some time to have some fun with me and the other the other hands. Like you know, I yeah. feel like that with my podcast. I feel bad because I don't want anyone to feel bad for saying no. But I was still like waiting for an answer either. So it's like, well, um, so yeah, anyway, with the podcast, I'm doing it for someone else. It's lovely because it's professional. Someone else edits it. I don't have to listen back to my own voice. And they've got amazing guests for us. So, so yeah, it's, it's a dream to be working with Red Bull on this. Man, why don't I get partnered with this? Man, I do all the work myself. I, I have to, it is, I will say the awkwardness never goes away asking for guests. It is, it is always there for me. So I'm just like, okay, well, mm, sorry to email you this, but. Can you please just make an appearance on my show? Thank you. Bye. And it's just, it's the <laughs> same thing over and over again. So it'll never go away from me, but I'm glad to hear that somebody else is also experiencing this. So thank you. Thank you for, for, <laughs> for highlighting that, but thank you again for bringing this highlight, this uh, highlighting this podcast uh, and kind of showing that the games who made us in a way that really hasn't been explored before. And so I'm, I'm hope I'm hoping that this, this first episode drops soon and that we can uh, all listen to it. And enjoy it with the, Carlos Ocelot himself, of course, the the Espanol, and have fun with him. But uh, thank you for your time, Frankie. I want to thank you for coming on the show. I know it's been uh, it's been a, a rough morning for me, a good afternoon for you, I'm assuming. So <laughs> just thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. She's Frankie Ward. I'm Kevin Correa, and this is the Esports Network podcast. Yeah.